Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series, Wisdom Matters. So let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 to 27, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Resisting Seduction. We've all heard it. I didn't plan for this to happen. We were just work colleagues or friends, or we attended the same Sunday school class, and then unexpectedly, we fell in love, but we didn't plan that. Now, here's my response. Horse manure. You've just added lying to the sin of adultery. Of course you saw it coming. For years now, you've nurtured adultery in your heart. For years now, your head has been on a swivel as you've noticed women or men. You took note of her breasts, her legs, her figure. You noticed. You relished that bit of adultery in your heart, and you wished that something would happen. You planned it for years. You've also been planning how you could hide it. Today, as we continue our study in the introductory passages of the book of Proverbs, we today find the fourth and the climactic lecture to safeguard the son from adultery, to keep him from the woman who is unchaste. And of course, it can work the other way as well. I mean, the wise parent will lecture his or her daughter about the man who is unchaste. So let's start by making an obvious observation. In contemporary Western culture, among those who are secular, it's now assumed that sex goes with dating. It's now assumed that most couples will have lived together before marriage, and it's now assumed that people consume pornography, and most do. And for that reason, the kind of chapter of Proverbs 7 seems to many as an outdated chapter of an outdated age. The idea of guarding oneself against unchastity, at least as many see it today, is simply the repressed self. But as we've seen in our study, we now live in a day in which there is a notable absence of wisdom. People are living lives without skill. They make sexual decisions that lead to sadness, emptiness, conflict, disease, loneliness, and inability to make long-term relationships work, and a great deal of regret. The lack of meaning in people's lives is because they've not learned that faithfulness, faithfulness in our bodies, is the key to live life well. But how can we survive as those who wish to be faithful? If we're committed to no sex outside of heterosexual marriage, In a world that's swimming in a soup of sensuality, when in our educational institutions, in our government, in the media, in entertainment, everywhere, sexual unfaithfulness is celebrated, encouraged, and even suggested that if you take a different approach, you're a hater. How does the young person survive? Well, let's read Proverbs 7, one section at a time. And as we do, let's ask if the quest for sexual faithfulness is a hopeless fight. The answer will be no, it's not. But you have to decide to win that war in advance. Well, how? Well, from Proverbs 7, five ways. Here's the first way. You need to welcome God's authority in your life. Proverbs 7, 1 to 3. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandment with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. See, the first thing that you must do is treasure God's commands regarding sexual purity. Make them the apple of your eye. That is, tell yourself that you love those commands and rehearse them constantly. That's your first step. Welcome God's authority. 
Second, declare an unending warfare of perpetual hostility and hatred against all sexual sin by desiring wisdom over sexual fascination. Let's read Proverbs 7, 4-5. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Now, calling wisdom your sister is a term of endearment. I'm reminded here of 1 Timothy 5, verse 2, where Paul encourages young men to think of young women, especially the pretty ones, as sisters. And so, as a battle ensues in the mind, it's a battle of how to name things. That woman, she's my sister in Christ. That woman is married and made a covenant with another man. That woman is forbidden. That woman is loved by God, made in his image. And if I should violate God's intention toward her, my creator and hers will remember. Job said in Job 131, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. It's good counsel. It tells us what's right. But as with all things we seek to abandon, those things leave a hole, an emptiness, a lack, a longing that needs to be filled. Proverbs teaches us that the void must be filled with lady wisdom. Your mind now becomes a new thing and all your passions become engaged in a restless search for ever-increasing wisdom, both in the knowledge of God and in the restless search for ever-increasing skill in all the decisions of life. See, many people have told me how scripture memorization began to occupy their hearts as it required all their concentration and required full attention and little time was given to the wandering mind. And so we've learned two principles. First, welcome God's authority. And second, declare warfare by replacing thoughts of adultery with thoughts of wisdom. Now the third principle. Never allow yourself to stray into enemy territory, for if you're on the enemy's ground, you're going to lose. So let's read verses 6 to 9. For at the window of my house I have looked out through the lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near the corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of darkness. Those verses are fascinating. See, what was that young man doing in the street by the house of a woman who was known to be adulterous? Why was he hanging out there? He should have been nowhere near that location, but that's what I meant earlier when I said that no one simply falls into adultery. They've been lurking in the darkness. There are a number of things that constitute lurking. I would say that in our day, the pornographic industry has made an industry out of encouraging lurking. It's all about gazing where you have no business being. Never mind that it objectifies women, it does that, but it also dulls your heart. You don't know what's beautiful anymore, and it's made you into a voyeur. But notice several things. First, the young man is simple, which means that he has no commitment to wisdom. He's not made a resolute decision to win this war. Indeed, he's not even considered the fact that there might be a war. He doesn't think he needs to fight. He he thinks he can just go along and let life take him wherever it goes. He's not engaged in a lifelong passion to learn the commands of God. You know, second, although he won't admit it, he's opening himself up to the possibility of a tryst. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.18 simply says, flee sexual immorality but you're either fleeing it or you're not. And if you're not, you're being drawn more deeply into the world of sexual desire. Let's say you and your girlfriend are prone to lust and you've told each other, no more sex, we're not gonna do that again, it was sin. 
And then, you know, the common word is, well, you know, we just kind of slipped. No, you didn't. You refused to fight. See, I have a word, stop straying into enemy territory. Look at verse 9. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night or darkness. You know, it was William Shakespeare who said that lust and light are mortal enemies. If you're constantly out at night, and if you live at night rather than in the day, if your best time isn't the morning but late at night, you're far more prone to sexual sin. So let's look at a key. If you're struggling with sexual sin, tell your boyfriend or your girlfriend, look, I'm weak. I I just can't see you past six o'clock in the evening. Wisdom teaches me that darkness is my enemy. And so we'll do an early evening meal together. And after we're done, we'll say, good night. I'll see you tomorrow. And that's the key. Understand how vulnerable you are when the darkness settles in. Flee the places where you're tempted. Simply make a rule. Wherever I find myself weak, I'm going to stay away. Wherever I find myself strong, I'm going to gravitate towards that. Never go into each other's bedroom. Never. It's enemy territory. Let's say you're prone to internet pornography. And now you say, you know, I won't ever go online when no one else is around. Oh, why? It's enemy territory. Let's say you visited prostitutes. And there are certain parts of town that you go. But now, because it's enemy territory, you may never drive in that direction again. You begin to identify those areas where you're most prone to falling and stay away. It's like staying out of a rough part of town because you might get robbed. And in this case, you might get robbed of innocence and purity and living the life of wisdom. Listen to me. Every time you stray into enemy territory, you lose. Get that thought through your head, Bubba. So if you fall into sin, tell the truth. Say, I deliberately went into the arena where sin always wins. Indeed, I went to that area because I wanted to sin. I didn't fall in an unexpected way. I fell because I wanted to. And if you don't want to do that, add something else. Say, from now on, I will flee the territory of the enemy. Remember that Jesus taught us that if your right eye causes you to sin, you need to gouge it out. I know, I know, that's metaphorical. He didn't mean it literally. So don't go about gouging out your eye, but gouge out everything from your life that makes you vulnerable to sin. And when you do, watch what happens next. We often find ourselves consumed with never-ending to-do lists. Our feet and hands don't know how to be still, but God does not desire our productivity. He desires our heart. Back to the Bible Canada teaches the Bible, not just for information, but to nurture our relationship with God. We ought to know God, not simply know about God, but it takes intentional time to slow down and be with Him. To help you make this happen, Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John have created a new 30-day devotional called Quiet Spaces, Volume 2. It's the next in the installment of the Quiet Spaces devotional. This devotional is free this month, and all you need to do is ask. So call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your copy today. We've identified three principles in dealing with temptation to commit sexual sin. And the first was simple. Welcome God's authority into your life. 
Second, declare an unending warfare of perpetual hostility and hatred against all sexual sin by desiring wisdom over sexual fascination. And principle number three, the one we've just dealt with, is never allow yourself to stray into enemy territory, for if you're on the enemy's ground, you're going to lose. Now, here's the fourth principle. Beware of deceptive tactics. I'm reading verses 10 to 14. And behold, a woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I have paid my vows. I want you to notice how the adulterous woman speaks to this young man. If she went out to sacrifice, she's left food over. It's to be eaten at home. And she says, come with me and enjoy eating. In that, she gives the impression that she's spiritual. She sacrifices, and now she must eat it. And could you come and eat it with me? That is to say, there's a convenient lie between the woman and the young man. If they were truthful, they'd be admitting that they are lying to each other. But the deceit between them is the deceit, at least for a moment, in pretending that this is about something other than it is. Now, verse 15. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Well, you believe that? Listen, this woman, this this woman will go with anyone. She's shameless. She's oversexed and she's underdressed. She's high on hormones. She's low on ethics. But she says to this young man, I'm just for you. And it plays on his ego. It's deception. He means nothing to her. She'll go with anyone. He's just dumb enough to be available, but the illusion plays in his head. He imagined himself as a handsome man who melts her heart, or at the very least excites her. He does not admit to himself that after him and before him, countless others. Verses 16 and 17. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Now she appeals to sensuality. She's trying to give him a mental picture of what's waiting. Imagine what it's like, she says. Imagine the delight that I offer you. Of course, she's not saying, imagine what happens when it's all over. I mean, that part, the the wisdom part, is not something she wants him to imagine. But imagine having me, she says. And so she inflames his mind with sensuality. His mind is imagining the scene. Verses 19 and 20. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. So here's the last deception. There are going to be no consequences. He will never find out about us. I call this the, you know, the Las Vegas approach. Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But the truth is, none of our actions simply stay somewhere. They migrate. They spill over. They impact everything else. So with his ego inflamed and his mind imagining something much greater than what is there, and with the assurance that people get away with this kind of thing all the time, he's destroyed. So what should this young man have done? Well, the most basic principle is to realize that he is being deceived. The enemy of our souls wants to portray sexual sin as sweet, delicious, and if engaged in with discretion, will leave us with no regret. What is needed is to counter that Massive deception with truth, with light, with wisdom, with the commands of God. Remember that Proverbs 7 is a father imparting wisdom to his son, and the father having told his son of this sexual encounter of this simple young man with the adulterous woman comes to some pretty telling conclusions. Here's the fifth principle of winning the war against sin. Stop believing the lie. 
and start believing two essential truths. Here they are. First, get an internal picture of what sexual sin really entails. Verses 21 to 23. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, because I come from a farm background, I mean, I can picture this image. You know how to get an animal to the slaughterhouse? You calm it, you soothe it, you pat it, you speak to it in gentle tones. And with a little bit of work, you can lead it willingly to its death. Now imagine that you are the animal and sin is soothing you, speaking to your ego, giving you pictures of sexual pleasure, having you imagine a world free of consequences. This is how we should picture our sexual temptations, for that is a true and accurate picture. They're leading us to the slaughter. But how is sexual sin leading us to the slaughter? Well, in his book on sexual purity, Randy Elkhorn imagines what it would be like if he committed adultery. He imagines explaining it to his deeply hurt and wounded wife. He imagines explaining it to his angry children and how it is that he's betrayed their mother. He imagines how his reputation would suffer. And then he realizes that there are those who would never trust him again. And then he imagines Satan doing high fives with the demons and watching his ruin. That's the slaughterhouse. I would encourage you to make your own list and picture what sexual sin would mean to you. Now, here's the second reality picture. Realize who the temptress really is, verses 24 to 27. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So I want you to imagine one of those horror movies where a beautiful woman is, uh, you know, just a facade for an alien. And then, you know, she sheds, you know, the body and becomes the alien, out pops this horrible and deadly creature. I mean, you shudder and think, you know, how beautiful and enticing and yet how disgusting and awful. Now let's move from that picture to the one represented here. The house of the adulterous woman is not what it appears to be. Remember, the young man was promised a bed covered with Egyptian linens and perfumes. But it turns out it was a facade, like the old movie screen, a stage, a setup, not the real thing. That bed was the doorway that leads to the lake of fire. It burns forever. You pull aside the blankets, and instead of finding a soft mattress, you find a hellish abyss filled with the slain who groan and writhe in everlasting torment. See, I noticed the words, many a victim has she laid low. That is, this is a well-used snare to eternally trap not just thousands, but millions. Once they've been brought down, they don't remember their night of sensuality. They remember how easily they were ensnared. The adulterous woman is, in fact, not a sexy woman who thinks you're a hunk. She's, in fact, a mighty predator who knows how easy it is to kill. She has slain multitudes single-handedly. She's vanquished one politician after another. Spies have told state secrets to her and brought down nations. Teachers and lawyers have been disgraced by her power and pastors who are entrusted with the word of God, are among her dead. And so our entire churches, disillusioned followers of Jesus, have concluded that there was nothing to the faith when leaders have ended up in her merciless arms. Her accomplishments are legendary in the Demon's Hall of Fame. No one is as powerful or as successful as she. 
Even powerful dictators have failed to inflict the damage that she has accomplished for hell. Now, here's a lesson of wisdom. I want you to think about that sexual sin or that person that tempts you. And deep in their eyes, I want you to see in them that mighty predator that hunts you and wants your soul. In short, I want you to see sexual sin as the horrifying monster that it is. You know, this address has attempted to do several things. I've sought to demonize sexual sin so that it will no longer view it as a small thing, nor see it as a thing that can be easily escaped. I've wanted us to see this as a great and mighty tool in the hands of the enemy of your soul. I've sought to give ammunition so that you can decide to win the war in advance. But I also wish to reach out to the fallen and declare that Christ is a much greater warrior than sexual immorality. I'm those who have been won by the great liberating power of his love from the cross are freed from the power of sexual sin. You can lift up your head. You can be freed from sin's grasp. You can be productive in Christ's service. Don't despair. Put your hope in his redeeming love. Meditate on 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I hope you heard that both the warning and the promise. The warning that if you carry on, death awaits. But the promise that if you have fallen, turn to Christ. It turns out he is a mightier hunter than the immoral woman. Praise God. John, thanks for your message. Let me ask you, and you know, you were in the church as a pastor for a long time. And I may be wrong in some circumstances, but is there a chance we simply don't talk about sexual purity or the impact of sexual sin in the church enough? Yeah, and it's interesting. You, you added a preface because I was in the pulpit a long time, but my problem with being in the pulpit a long time is I didn't get to hear a lot of other preachers preach because I was obviously in my own pulpit. But, I mean, the more that I talk about it today, that we—, we you know, in some places it does get discussed, and yet in a lot of other places it doesn't. Um, I do think since we have passages in the Bible that speak to it, I mean, very explicitly, um, you know, just simply do a Bible exposition on that, talk about it. So that would be my encouragement to pastors, youth leaders, uh, all sorts of others. Uh, we need to talk about this in our day. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Wisdom Matters, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Do you have any young children in your life, perhaps of your own or a grandchild? If so, be sure to check out Back to the Bible Kids, our mobile Bible teaching games for children. Choose from these games, Bible ABCs, Bible coloring, or Noah's elephant in the room. Every game helps kids learn more about the characters of the Bible, learn scripture and biblical truths, enjoy educational activities, all in a safe and fun environment. Trace color and chase Noah around the ark, all while being introduced to Bible stories and characters. 
It's so important that the children of God are given the opportunity to become familiar with the Bible from a young age. And we hope that the Back to the Bible Kids mobile games do just that. To download any of our Back to the Bible Kids games for free, visit backtothebible.ca slash kids.